This is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician by background, and I lead the adoption and training team here at Allidade. Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast where we explore the transformation of American healthcare from a disjointed structure that pays hospitals and physicians only for the volume of services they provide to a system that shares information across healthcare settings and rewards providers for keeping patients healthy. Allidate is a company that helps independent physician groups around the country set up and run accountable care organizations, or ACOs. This is a relatively new type of healthcare entity designed to tackle the issues of disconnected care and misaligned incentives. This is Josh Israel. I'm a psychiatrist and a medical director here at Allidate. Today you're going to be hearing our interview with Dr. Lee Fleischer and Dr. Sean Purifoy. They're both primary care physicians, but in very different parts of the country. Lee's outside Philadelphia and Sean's in rural Arkansas. But they both have a lot of really interesting things to say about what it is to be in an ACO, how it's affected their practices, what it's meant for their patients, and you'll hear that they both have better radio voices than Joe and I do. We think you'll like it. Sean Purifoy from Malvern Family Medical Clinic in Arkansas, and Dr. Lee Fleischer from PMA Medical Specialists in Suburban Philadelphia from the Prime Division. Lee's also the chairman of the Quality Committee there at PMA. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So we spent a fair amount of time on this podcast talking to folks who work on the policy, technology, uh, business side of healthcare transformation, and we're really excited today to have folks who are at the ground level, really at the front lines uh, of how accountable care, value-based care, all these things are actually done. So we're, we're, we're really eager to hear about uh, Dr. Purifoy and Dr. Fleischer's experience. So you're both practicing in very different parts of the country, different patient populations, different practice setups. So we'll start with you, Sean. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice and how accountable care made its way to Arkansas? Well, sure. Um, actually, Allidade uh, was just beginning when I started looking at ACOs, and they had a partnership with the Arkansas Foundation for Medical Care, and uh, came into Arkansas doing some recruiting, and came to see me after I expressed some interest. And uh, at that time, I was pretty successful in my practice. I'd been practicing back in Malvern for nearly 20 years even then, but uh, I wanted to remain independent. I was looking for an opportunity to, to learn how to make this sort of transition from fee-for-service to value-based care, and it looked like an ACO was my best bet to learning how to do that, and um, I wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be someone who tried to tell me how to treat my patient, and also um, someone that I could divorce if I wanted to, quite frankly. and. Um, The guarantee I got was that no one was ever going to tell me what to do, and so far, you know, now almost four and a half years later, uh, that's been true uh, to the letter. And once we started doing, uh, you know, value-based care work, uh, it it actually it was actually harder harder work uh, to do, but uh, brought a lot more satisfaction. Uh, We had a lot better um, rapport with our patients. Even though we knew them, uh, we didn't feel like we had our arms around them, and now we do. And so, you know, I, I, someone asked me, well, have I been satisfied? And, and the truth is, 
at this point, even if all of, you know, Allidade went away, I know that I could make it, uh, whereas before I couldn't have. And so it's been a very good experience and it continues to improve and grow for me. Thanks. And the first, um, I have some of the similar questions for you, but can you tell us a little bit about PMA? It's different than a lot of practices within Allidade, which are smaller practices. Right. We're a uh, large practice, actually, a merger of, of two practices, uh, Prime Health Network, which was the practice I've been in for a number of years, and uh, PMA, and uh, sort of the other end of the suburbs. Uh, but we both had a very similar vision. We Both practices have been involved for many years in uh, a number of uh, quality, account quality accountable care type uh, ventures, one particularly with the local uh, Blue Cross products. So we were somewhat familiar with the process uh, to begin with, um, and even for a while were involved with a different ACO, uh, a large hospital-centered ACO, uh, which really did not uh, work at all for us. And um, found uh, Allidade liked uh, the model that was uh, presented and, and decided to jump on board. And we're uh, finishing up year two and already strategizing for year three. Now, if the, it didn't work out with the prior ACO, what made you want to find another one rather than feeling like, forget this, this population health thing is not for us? Well, I guess from our first experience with the, uh, with the Blue Cross-based product, we knew that there was something to it. We knew that, uh, you know, getting quality data information, getting utilization data, uh, even though not as refined as, as what we've seen with uh, Allidate, had some value. We knew who to target uh, patients who were not achieving goal, say diabetics with their A1C, or patients who were high utilizers of uh, the hospital. Um, so we knew already that uh, that tools could help us practice better, uh, better quality for our patients, and uh, you know potentially savings um, that we might someday get a share of. So that's what had our interest when uh, this large ACO came knocking at all of our doors a couple of years before Allidade, um, but they didn't deliver uh, at least at the primary care level. So. We knew we wanted to look at something, you know, instead of renewing the contract with the other ACO, we wanted to uh, wanted to find something that we thought might work better. Now, this is our first podcast that feels to me like a spinoff that anybody who's listened to Emily Maxson's podcast has heard her highlight Sean's great work in Arkansas. <laughs> now, here you are with your own show. <laughs> and Sean, did you have a background in health information technology that made you prepared for working with this kind of data? None, zero. Um, for the first, mm, I, I'd say nine and a half years of my practice, which began in 1997, I had a paper chart. Mm -hmm. And um, starting in 90, uh, or excuse me, starting in 2005, um, I was the first doctor in my town to have uh, an electronic medical record. And that was when there were 200 vendors across the country. And um, I really used it like a glorified paper chart, uh, like I think most people did. We weren't really using it and, and mining the data. We weren't putting things in structured fields at all. And I really didn't start doing that meaningfully probably until 2013. And so Allidade really came along after I'd been doing that for about a year. And so it was a good sort of, you know, coordinated liftoff 
for looking at the HR and trying to use this data and then having someone who was doing that all the time, you know, help me to direct that. So that was a good win-win for me. Have you seen direct good outcomes for your patients as a result of this? Certainly, I think uh, the information, you know, has brought value. Um, you know, getting data in, in real time, uh, getting uh, uh, even things such as the ADT alerts about patients who've been in the emergency room or been in the hospital where we might not have been called uh, by, by the hospital. Um, just getting that information and finding things out, you know, before a problem progressed because maybe the patient didn't realize that okay, you have this problem, you're not being admitted to the hospital, but you need to follow up with your doctor to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we all know, patients don't always follow that. So <laughs> that no. has certainly triggered a, a number of phone calls uh, to say, look, you need to come in, we've got to follow up on this problem. And so I think that's added a lot of quality. And Sean, you have a story that even made its way into the New York Times about some benefits of working with Allity. That's right. Well, I had a patient that, um, I had sent to a cardiologist because I suspected that they had uh, unstable angina. And um, when they got to the cardiologist's office, they sort of minimized their complaint. And the cardiologist sort of said, I think you're fine. And the patient was happy with that. And so I, 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 that was unbeknownst to me. I, I had gone on my way and was, you know, had gone to sleep and woke up another day. So. It was a few months maybe down the road and we called uh, this patient to make sure that they came in for their wellness visit. And when I walked in the room, of course I remembered, oh yeah, and I said, hey, what happened with your trip to the cardiologist? And he said, oh, well, nothing. They, you know, he said he thought I was fine and uh, I wasn't real happy, uh, but part of that was my fault because I should have you know, made sure that what I wanted done got done. But uh, this time I did make sure that what I wanted done got done. And I called the cardiologist's office at that moment, and I said, I want him to have a stress test, whether the cardiologist thinks that he needs it or not, or I'll send him to a different cardiologist. And he had it, and then he had a four-vessel bypass the next week. Wow. So, you know, I, the safety net for me was getting in a groove of calling people and saying, come in for your wellness visit. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't a patient who even wanted to have a stress test, so he certainly wasn't a patient that would have called to, to schedule his own wellness visit. Mm -hmm. uh, he does now. And uh, he's a believer. He's drank the Kool-Aid just like the rest of us have. And, and I think that that was a real, it wasn't a wake-up call for me because I already thought there was value. But it was a real-world clinical uh, experience that I could point to and say, it's not just about, you know, how many wellness visits I've done, but here's where a wellness visit had meaning beyond whether or not someone had had their pneumonia shot. And uh, I think that I could then tell my staff, you know, look at this patient that you all know that's still coming in here and still bringing you uh, fish that he caught last week and he's frozen and brought for everyone to share because uh, he's alive and it wasn't because I was, you know, this great doctor. It was just because we had a check and balance system that we wouldn't have had before we were in an ACO. And we, we didn't have that at all. I like that. Fresh fish will get a, the point across much it better does. than does. It does. That's right. So an interesting thing that I've always found in the discussion about healthcare in, in this country is people talk about healthcare like a monolith, you know, healthcare costs or healthcare problems. And in reality, it's so much more complex than that. And uh, people forget that 
practices are businesses, you know, and, and to not talk about them like businesses does them a disservice, um, sometimes small, sometimes medium-sized. Uh, so, you know, my question is, as amazing as some of these outcomes are and the data and all these additional things that were hopefully empowering you and your colleagues to do, what about the bottom line? Is there, you know, the, the common hope is that we can help people do well by doing good, but uh, is that is that a reality? Well, I believe it has been in, in my practice on a couple of levels. One is uh, the outreach to patient, bringing them in for necessary visits and, and doing that, especially through the annual wellness visit, but also something that we were not doing prior to Allidade were the transitional care management visits, mm -hmm. which are rewarded appropriately by Medicare because they are rather complex, rather work-intense uh, uh, visits, um, but they do have high value uh, by keeping patients from being readmitted to the hospital, addressing problems that may have driven them to the hospitalization in the first place, uh, you know, maybe being able to address them in the outpatient setting, which the patients prefer, as well as, uh, you know, helping reduce costs. So. You know, by being able to, to by getting the, the information that we need to do those visits, uh, annual wellness visits coming due, or somebody was just discharged from the hospital needing a TCM visit, that, that does help our bottom line some. And then projecting forward, uh, we did uh, achieve shared savings in our first year, and, and so that, uh, I guess, at least is uh, some pretty good icing on the cake. You know, an interesting thing here at Allidade, as I'm sure you've seen, we have um, a, a very uh, eager, engaged group of um, pre-medical folks who are <laughs> taking time to go, before they go to medical school, our fellows program. And anybody listening who is uh, interested in that should check that out on our uh, careers page. But um, I've had the pleasure of prepping some of those folks for their med school interviews. And one of the things I tell them is, don't assume that the doctor you're talking to will sometimes know at all about this type of stuff, value-based care, ACOs. And if they do, don't assume they're gonna be as excited about it as Farzad or me or Josh or anybody else. Uh, and and you, you are both, you know, luminaries in this process. So, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that it's, it's controversial? Ooh. Well, I think that a lot of it has to do with the the person that, that is the physician and where they are in their life, hmm. right? Because most people uh, make, I think, sometimes an assumption that doctors uh, always only just want to be doctors, right? So we all have a plan in our mind, like, I've enjoyed helping people, but I don't want to do this until I die. And where am I? in terms of my retirement, where am I in terms of what I'm willing to try and learn that's new? And, uh, you know, am I as idealistic as I was when I started? And am I more idealistic now than I will be when I finish? And so I think a lot of the physicians uh, who have done doctoring work for a long time uh, just say, look, I've gone through uh, PHOs. I've gone through uh, acquisition of practices. That was in the 90s and then the early 2000s. And so they sometimes are skeptical that, you know, this is just going to be the next flash in the pan. And they think if Medicare was flush 
and we had lots of money, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. And and truthfully, we have to be open-minded. Probably that's true. That's probably true. Yeah. So I think that that is why, uh, for the same reason that when my teenagers say stuff, I probably have a look of, you know, like I'm a little bit uh, skeptical of whatever they have to say. If I want to get those people involved, I have to really talk about, well, what, what good is it for your patients, and how can you make it work for you? You know, because I think value-based care is still, uh, the judgment's still out because we're still really getting paid by fee-for-service for the most part. And, and so we're making these changes and we're working harder and we're seeing more TCMs, uh, as Lee said, and we're, we're doing a lot of the work that maybe helps our bottom line right now. But if we took all that away and now it was just, hey, get some savings at the end of the year and that's going to substitute, um, well, I don't know yet. And so what we would hope is that um, as we improve and as we show success, that CMS and then later other payers, you know, jump on board and say, we do see this as the way to the future. That's what we're betting on. And, and here's the deal. For most of, I guess, everyone in Allidade, we're all small business owners, as you said, right? Right. And quite frankly, um, my loyalty is, is first to my employees. Because if I don't have employees, I can't see patients. So I have to tier it, and I have to be able to continue to pay them what I paid them last year. they got to be able to cash their check every two weeks. And I have to pay myself. If anything I can do beyond that is what I'm going to work with. And so seeing where the physician is in that process, in their life, in their career, I think is why you'll see this big variation between people that are open to this and people who are a little more skeptical. That's great to hear some about the reality of what's required from a system like this. Right. And how about as far as um, changed relationships with hospitals or specialists? Have, have you Has that been an issue for you being in an ACO? It has been to some degree. Um, and uh, it's not a process that has always gone smoothly. I mean, we've uh, been able to use some of the uh, data that we've gotten from, uh, from the ACO and actually have some conversations with individual specialists and show them where they might be outliers on, uh, say, the number of tests they order, uh, the frequency that they see the patients, and, you know, help them understand that, you know, in this day and age that, that those old patterns of practice are not necessarily uh, going to be uh, the practice in the future mm-hmm. and uh, sort of couch it in, well, this is an opportunity to uh, to try to plan for the future. Um, you know, on the other hand, uh, this particular practice I'm thinking of, the cardiology practice, uh, said, well, we, you know, we can sort of start to learn about that and look into that. Uh, one thing we can offer you is uh, same day, uh, like, Referrals or you know visits for patients who might have otherwise ended up in the emergency room, which would have been a far more cost. So um, it's a process. It's you know it's an evolutionary process, but uh, we are certainly starting to have some of those conversations. And how about you, Sean? Is it any different living somewhere that's less urban, where you may be more likely to run into the specialist at Little League and such? Yeah. Well, where we where we run into trouble, or where we have at least historically. Uh, is, has been relying on those physicians to take transfers from, from us. So uh, lots of the rural physicians uh, are still taking care of their patients in the hospital. 
and there are, you know, there's not a pulmonologist or nephrologist or a cardiologist. It's the family practiceologist. And they're the ones who are reading the EKG or deciding that the troponin is elevated. And what you do when you make those referral patterns is you form relationships with people who say, yes, I'll take them, just send them right up. And when you have that type of, and I can tell you, when your knees are knocking and it's two in the morning and you think someone's about to really get into trouble, that sort of loyalty is something that you have to think about in terms of how will I approach this conversation. I don't want to say, you know, I really liked it when you helped me out with that patient, but I want you to do some things that are going to make me more money, right? Because if that's the message you give, instead of, I want you to do some things that are going to help the patient, they won't have to come as often, you'll have more time to do the things you need to do. Uh, you've got to frame it the right way. You can't be penny-wise and pound-foolish when you've got to rely on these specialists to help you when you need help. And so that, you know, if I lived in a big city, maybe I'd just stick the patient in the back seat of my car and drive them across the street to the hospital. But here I can't do that when I'm way out somewhere. So we, we see that variation in Arkansas between a town like Little Rock, who, you know, has got 600 doctors in town, or a town like um, DeQueen, which is two, you know, two hours from everywhere. And so that's why, it, it, you know, teaching people to think about ways to talk to the specialist about it. And, and I think transparency is where that comes in. The specialists don't mind talking about it, but they, they, you have to talk about it. It can't be a memo or a letter. or a, uh, You don't need to talk to their office manager. Yeah. You just need to say, hey, uh, help me out a little bit and I'll help you out. And, and usually you get a pretty good response in that regard because they, they all know it's changing. Everyone knows it's changing. It's just trying to get it to be more palatable. That's, uh, you know, the, the provider-to-provider conversations are underappreciated sometimes in right. this process. And certainly, as we talk about specialists and hospitals and, and all those interactions. Um, so that's a, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, clearly you both find tremendous meaning in this job. Um, but I think it would be, we'd be remiss not to point out that, you know, uh, it's not always clear for folks who want to go into medicine overall these days, much less primary care as a specialty. Um, you must have a lot of those conversations with friends, family, people you meet. Well, what I try to say is one thing that still holds true even with all the technology and even being in a, a suburban practice is that you still get to know the patients mm-hmm. in a way that you would not get to know if you were the trauma surgeon or uh, you know, whatever uh, other highly specialized field potentially, but I have plenty, even in a suburban area, plenty of uh, families where I take care of three generations of, mm-hmm. uh, of a family as an internist. So the grandparents are in their 80s, the parents are in their late 50s, and the kids in their 20s, and you know, take care of quite a few families like that. So I feel like I'm almost part of the family, part of the family lore. And then, so having the value of those relationships is something that, that I still find very, very gratifying. Uh, and I don't think you really get that outside of primary care. And just knowing that you're often the first one to see the problem and the one who could potentially make the most impact on their lives is, again, something that, uh, that I think can't be replicated. And, and adding to that now, some of these tools to really make an impact and really make a difference in their lives, I think is one thing that I hope moving forward can, can help interest more young physicians in primary care. 
Yeah, I, 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 I think too, um, it, it really depends on how you would do primary care. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if your idea of primary care is, um, I want to go to work and when I leave, I don't want to think about anything, um, that's out there. But I don't know that that's, you know, what I, I would encourage someone to do because it's a lot of blood and sweat and tears for 11 years to be able to come out and do a job that you could do by not going through medical school. I mean, there are some other ways to do that. But my point is, if, if you don't want those relationships, if you don't feel like what I really want to know is how to give people advice about their surgical issues and their oncology oncology issues or their female issues or whatever issues there are if you don't have that like I just really want to know a lot about a bunch of stuff then probably primary care is not for you anyway and it shouldn't be like the you know flavor of the month it should be something that you realize once you get into it you're going to have a lot of stuff come up that they don't teach you in medical school right you know and and also you're not going to be able to hide behind yeah that's not what I do you know, talk to your PCP about right. that. You're going to be the one that receives that. And even if you don't know the answer, you're going to have to have a conversation with your patient to at least reassure them that you'll help them find the answer. And that's something that takes the commitment. And and you don't know it when you're signing up. But when you get done, you figure it out. And so you better be prepared for that and embrace it instead of try and hide from it. We know we, we got you both to come in here at the last minute, but you were both so well-spoken and clear-headed about this. It was really like you prepared for it. So really, thank you both Thank you both for your words on this. Well, you're more than welcome. Thank you for asking. I'm very happy to share and very happy to encourage others to hopefully follow our path. Exactly. Thank you.